Hey everyone, welcome to On The Market. I'm your host, Dave Meyer. And today we are going to try to predict the future hot, exciting trends of real estate investing. To help me do that, I have Kathy Fecky, Henry Washington, and James Daynard joining me. Kathy, have you ever jumped on a hot new trend that worked out for you in oh, your career? That, that worked out. I like that key question. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell us one that did work out too. I, I could tell you many that didn't work out. I was a, a, a dream chaser when I first started and, and things looked so exciting. I will throughout the show tell you about some of those. <laughs> but yes, I am someone who really, I'm from California. I was born and raised in the Silicon Valley. It's in my DNA. I have to always be on top of what the new trends are and what the future is bringing us. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm, I'm eager to hear what you're going to share with us over the course of the show. James, has there ever been something you heard about and feel like you were like sort of on the cutting edge of the, uh, in terms of a real estate investing strategy or tactic? On the cutting edge. You know, I think one thing we have done, you know, well, is when we, you know, when housing was really cheap in 2010, we, we just saw replacement cost was low and we actually invested in a lot of student housing during that time. And our basis for those properties are probably 30% cheaper than they would be if we started doing it a little bit too late. So uh, actually, shared housing was a good one. And we, we've also made lot, plenty of bad mistakes too, like, just like Kathy, making the wrong bets. <laughs> well, that's super important to take note of because today what we're going to be doing is talking about ideas or concepts, trends that we're excited about, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be winners. That doesn't necessarily mean that everyone should be pursuing these strategies. Our goal here is just to introduce you to some new ideas and you can decide for yourself if you want to be an early adopter. All right, so we're going to just jump right into this. And Henriette, let's start with you. What is one trend you're seeing evolve in the real estate investing space that you're excited about? Yeah. So one thing I've been watching and seeing grow is investing in warehouses. So with office space now becoming, I don't want to call it completely obsolete because there's still a use case for office space, but it's, it's typically more around a co-working type of environment. But with the traditional office building going obsolete, you're finding now that the more empty warehouse space is becoming more trendy. And that has a lot to do with the pandemic and people now and technology, right? So you put the pandemic and technology together and you really have people who are looking for ways to generate extra income and now have the tools that they can actually do that. You can have a person start an online shopping business and have this now e-commerce company that they can essentially run with a small team or on their own. But if you're still selling physical goods, you got to have a place to store them and you got to have a way to get them from said place to your customer. And that typically is going to mean you need some sort of warehouse storage facility to house these products or services. And then when you also think about the rise of DoorDash and uh, Uber Eats and all of these different food delivery services, what you're starting to see is people starting restaurants that have no physical locations, right? They can start these essentially restaurants that 
are only available on these food delivery apps. And where do you think they're preparing this food, right? Some people are, are you've got to have a, a place to do that. And so ghost kitchens are now popping up and people are taking warehouse spaces and converting them into kitchens where they're producing this food and then the, it can get delivered. But when you think about that as an investment strategy, you can think of it singularly where I can now um, convert a warehouse for a kitchen for me to use. But if you think about it from an investor standpoint, what if I go buy a warehouse and I convert it to a bunch of uh, commercial kitchen spaces that I can rent out individually to all these different ghost kitchens? Then now you've got a almost like a rent by the room scenario, but with a commercial kitchen space. Warehouse provides you the flexibility to be able to do that. And then another use case, and then I'll let you guys jump in here, is with the cost of groceries on the rise and scarcity among natural resources uh, and just people being smarter about understanding what's in their food, people are wanting to grow their own food. And so you can take these warehouse spaces and turn them into urban gardens and you can garden natural foods that you can uh, supply to people. And so I think a lot of these things are creating these opportunities for people to invest in warehouses. What do you guys think or see in the space? I, I love the idea of it. I think that there's a lot of good applications. As you said, Henry, the obvious one is like e-commerce. That's what everyone talks about. But I think e-commerce from the, I, I did look at one deal uh, for a, a warehouse space and it they're pretty expensive right now. I think like the word is out on e-commerce, but to your mm -hmm. point, there are other really interesting industrial warehouse types of applications. Like you said, ghost kitchens. I was talking to a friend who is sort of worked in this space and they help hotels outsource all of their room service. So there's no actual restaurant in the hotel. It's just a local place where all the hotels cook their room service and delivery. Um, so I think there's some really interesting applications there. And I also, depending on your strategy, just like the idea that warehouses are what's known as triple net leases, which are opportunities where you as the investor buy the physical property and you lease it out, but the tenant is really responsible for all of the expenses that go into maintaining and running the property. So if you find a really high quality, reputable tenant that you believe will be around for a long time, that could be very consistent, safe cash flow. Yeah. When we were talking about uh, those new trendy things that maybe we shouldn't have done, I've talked about before the wine village in uh, in Shasta, right outside of Wedding, Wedding, <laughs> Redding, California, and uh, I'm now looking at how to repurpose that land into storage and what kind of storage. Uh, one of the things that's nearby is Lake Shasta, so there is need for RV storage and boat storage. And then there's this kind of thing now where a lot of I'm going to just say dudes. I mean, maybe women do it too, but <laughs> guys like to have their you know, man room or whatever you call it. So they're a lot of times taking these storages where they're storing their planes or their boats or whatever and making it a hangout for the guys. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so we're, we're looking at that and then also possibly putting a gas station on that property because they would need to fuel. Right. But because this is new to me and because I messed up the first time around, I'm actually hiring an expert <laughs> to <Nice>. help me. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's kind of how you can scale. On something you don't know is bringing someone who who does know. And I think one of the main benefits of warehouse spacing right now is just like Henry touched on. You know, you can you can reduce your costs right in a, in an environment right now. Everything's more expensive, and business owners they want to be more remote. They want to reduce their cost. 
in addition to the building cost and investing is substantially different, which will bring your basis down. You know, to build a warehouse is going to cost you 75% less than building a single family house. Per square foot, just so Per square knows. foot, per, yeah. yeah the the foot. average cost to build yeah. a warehouse is 30 bucks a square foot. Whoa. For a single family house, it's 150 And I'm guessing commercial is wow. even substantially higher than that. And, you know, as Americans and as we're trying to find affordability, producing warehouse space, the land's cheaper typically, the build costs are cheaper, which is going to naturally allow people to have more affordable options for running their business, especially if it's remote with less employees. And so I do think there's massive runway in this because Americans are going to want cheaper, more affordable ways to revenize things yep. as costs are rapidly increasing, insurance, cost of goods, and you got to figure out how to beat the squeeze. And, you know, ch- uh, cheaper places to run your business out of are going to make a big difference. And the best way to build it is to buy land, build it for a fraction of the cost, and then operate inside that model. Yeah, but I think one of the coolest things about this niche is that you can get into it. I don't want to say cheaply, but fairly inexpensively, because you're right, you can go buy land and you can buy uh, less expensive land because you don't have to go find a plot of land in the middle of town where, (laughs) you know, the demand for that land is. You actually need to find land that's kind of on the outskirts, but not too far away if you're going to do food delivery and things like that. But you can go buy cheaper land and then build a cheaper product and then get a tenant base who's going to be able to help you cash flow. So it's pretty it's a pretty cool thought about a niche. It, it, obviously you need to do a lot of research or take Kathy's advice and hire an expert, somebody who's already investing in this space. Um but I think there's absolute potential here. Yeah, this seems exactly like what we're talking about on the show and the whole purpose of this show, which is trying to identify trends. And yeah, Certain parts of warehouse well-established, but there are so many new different types of applications here that could be really interesting areas for you to consider. Now that we've talked about our first trend, which is warehouse investing, we have three more right after this quick break. Buy low, sell high. Very easy to say, but not always so easy to do. For example, high interest rates are hurting the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices in a lot of markets are falling, even for many of the best assets. So it's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting fundrise.com slash pockets, fundrise.com slash pockets. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at fundrise.com slash flagship. This is a paid advertisement. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. 
The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation home owning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com biggerpockets. Welcome back to On The Market. We have three more trends we're going to cover right now about the real estate industry. So let's move on to our second new trend that we're excited about. James, what are you looking at? You know, to kind of piggyback on what Henry talked about, it has to go into affordability again. And, um, you know, where one trend I see really taking off over the next 12 to 24 months is that co-living shared housing spaces. I was listening to an interview from uh, the Fed chair last night, and he was talking about how inflation is cooling and it's going and their targets to get down to two and it's making progress. But also that many people think that that's going to actually reduce the cost of where we are today. And you know, he's saying that, no, everything's going to be kind of stuck where it is now. And the cost for goods, housing, everything has substantially grown throughout uh, the U.S., you know, with the rents going up 20, 30 percent over a couple year period, uh, appreciation being up 20, 30 percent. Everything's costing more cars. And as everyone is getting squeezed by th- these expenses, they're going to look for alternative ways to reduce cost and shared living is a great way to do that especially in the era of kind of the Gen Z where they're kind of just roaming, right? To the pandemic, people are just jumping in RVs and living in the RVs for six, nine months. This this kind of transient mindset has kind of taken fire and people are open to roommates. They're open to moving around. So the average cost to rent a room, according to roommates.com, is $775 to $995 per room. Your average one-bedroom cost is around thirteen to fourteen hundred a month, <laughs> so people can reduce their living expenses by thirty to forty percent by having numerous roommates. And with people being in this kind of transient mindset, you know, remote work, they kind of float, they live where they want to live now, right? That kind of hippie vibe, like I'm just going to go where it makes me happy. It's a great way to reduce your costs, and that's why I think it could be a massive asset class with some big growth. You know, um, people want to reduce their expenses, and you can buy these properties. The benefit to buying shared housing is you can buy properties, maximize it with the 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 price per square foot, right? When you're renting a room for $1000 a month, you're re- you know, if it's a 10 by 10 room, you're getting a lot higher price per square foot. There's one other major uh benefit for uh shared housing is those rates are right now in the high fives, low sixes instead of the seven, seven and a half. So you can buy a property, maximize the per square foot rent and get cheaper financing, which is a great asset to be in if you're trying to look at other type of platforms. Oh, I know a lot about this. I want to jump in. Remember, I, I'm the shiny object girl and 10 years ago, I had a um, some former CTOs of a large matching dating matching site, and I won't say the names, and a large real estate 
finding site. And these guys wanted to start a company on exactly this shared housing. And I think it's brilliant. And my um, non-compete is over. So I'm giving this idea for free. If anybody's great at technology, create this app. I think it's, it's brilliant. The guys behind it weren't. <laughs> okay, we'll just leave it at that. But um, they were brilliant, but they also started trying to pocket some of the money. So I uh, was able to get mm. an attorney and get, get the money back. But with that said, the idea I thought was so brilliant with this app was that it was the guy from the matching service was creating matching roommates. So let's say you have certain, they're vegan and you want to, you don't want to smell meat. You know, you just, you just want somebody else who's vegan. You, you could match who your ideal roommate would be. Maybe you're a single mom and you have certain bedtime thing rules or whatever, and you could match with another mom with those similar things. So I loved the idea. I loved the idea of investing in it and with the right team. I just think this could be a huge trend. I'm always curious about this because I think it's a great and very needed part of the housing stock right now. And I've actually looked into it myself, but I do understand that there is one initial build out costs a lot of the time, especially if you're going to create multiple kitchens or, you know, depending on the how, how you set things up. And the second is there has to be some property management complexity added to this um, when you have multiple people from different households living in a single building or single unit. So James, I don't know if you've looked into this or Kathy, you know, like how that gets handled. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, with this app, it was, it was included. So there were very, very clear house rules and that, that's, that should be the case in any household, right? Like super clear house rules, but the, the, you know, if you signed up for a certain household, you signed up for those rules and anyone in the household could call the company and, you know, that person would be evicted because they didn't follow the rules. So, um, you know, it's, it can be stringent, but, uh, you know, I think if you have roommates, you'd need that. Yeah. And there's, it depends on how you set your leases up. There's so many different ways you can cut these deals up. We have numerous different types of, uh, shared co-living in Seattle. We have one that's a 60 unit rooming house or close to 60 doors and we actually do one master lease. It's a, a nonprofit through the city that that actually works with people that need affordable housing, um, you know, battered women shelters, providing good housing for people that need it. And so one master lease makes it super simple. Then there's the rent by the room. And you can do that two different ways, too. Like we have rooming houses next to the university, and those are individual leases, and those do require a little bit more work. But then there's also in our shared housing, in our student housing, Many times one student will come in and take the lease and then they actually subsidize their cost, but they're still responsible for that whole cost. And, and so they're kind of the ones kind of wrangling it up. And it depends on how much you really want to make. You know, we have, I have another one that I rent out rooms and I could rent, it's a five bedroom house. I could rent it for about $1,200 a room. Instead, I rent it for $950 a room and there's one person that I have the lease with and she's managing the whole thing. And no matter what, they have to make that payment. And if a roommate moves out, the other roommates chip in. So they're getting a cheaper rent by the room, but they have to manage it more. So you can kind of set it up the way you want as long as you find the right tenant. Man, those students you're leasing to are must have much more responsible friends than I did in college because there is absolutely no way I would take on that risk. I want to touch on that, though. It depends on what product you're bringing to market. There's the rent by the room where you're just trying to get it down and dirty. They're not as updated, and there's nothing wrong with that model. You know, the typical room cost, like in Seattle, is going to be about nine to a thousand bucks. We rent ours for about twelve to thirteen hundred per room. 
But we do take them down to studs, rebuild the whole thing, and they have a very nice place to live. And depending on what product you want to put out, we actually have almost no issues with them. A lot of times it's foreign exchange students coming across. They're doing their work. No one's fighting. No one's arguing. We don't hear a peep out of it, and they keep it very clean. If you want to go the little bit cheaper route, you're going to have beer pong going on. <laughs> and so it's just it's a matter of what you want to deal with and how much upfront capital you want to put into the building. You know, there's actually students who do go to school to study. It's amazing. Not my friends. <laughs> That's a lie. That's a lie. There's like a few schools where that happens. The rest are, are it's not the thing. Um, <laughs> what I like about this strategy is there are multiple use cases for this co-living situation because you're exactly right. Affordable housing is a problem. This creates a way where people can afford housing. The second use case is what James talked about, which is colleges and universities. So having providing uh, an alternative to student housing in and around universities. And the third use case is for people who want to be able to afford to live in nicer places and can't, right? So not quite affordable housing, but this would be a great way to be able to afford a cool, trendy place to live in New York City or downtown LA or in these places where you want to live right where all the action is, but can't afford to go and, and have a, you know, a two bedroom flat and a high rise to yourself. This could provide you a way to be able to live that lifestyle that people are looking for when they're young, but they can't quite afford yet. Awesome. Great. Well, this is really interesting. And I do see a lot of new companies. I've seen even property management companies in Denver that specialize in this type of um, housing. So there's a lot more resources to pull this off, I think, than there were in the past. And that makes it an exciting new opportunity for people to pursue. So now we've talked about Henry's trend, which was warehousing, and James's trend of co-living. Kathy, what trend are you watching? Well, I have been watching this for a while, but sometimes change takes a while to set in. And so this is modular housing. And there's there's been it's been around. It's not new. Um, it's just new to planning departments and neighbors who maybe think that it's manufactured housing and, and don't really understand the difference. But I think what could possibly make it happen now is that Elon Musk, you know, he has he has a reputation for getting new things um, to market and sometimes not getting those things to market. But uh, he has come out with his Tesla smart home, which from what I can tell, and I, I don't have evidence of this, but it looks to be the Boxable, which is the tiny mm -hmm. home that he lived in in Austin. And I actually got to interview the founder of Boxable. And it's just a really cool thing that's factory built, but you bring it to site and it folds open and you have a house. But what what's so amazing about these modular homes is that they are, they tend to be fireproof, which is really great in California. Uh, they tend to be really cheap to heat uh, because of the insulation that they're made of. They are just energy efficient and they can be really beautiful. But it just the problem is either they were too expensive uh, to, you know, you might as well just do stick built if, if it was going to be the same price or more to have one. We've talked about that in past shows. But now the Tesla smart home, they're saying starts at 15,000. I really, I can't imagine what that is. You know, maybe it's a shoe house. <laughs> Delivery for 15,000? Yeah, maybe, maybe for your your dog or your mouse or something. I don't know. But um, I, I it's possible that the that it could be on the verge of changing. Um, I, as I said, I'm, I'm hiring this new, uh, project manager, construction project manager. One of our first calls, he said, Oh yeah, I've been building lots of multifamily in the Los Angeles area through modular and it's so much cheaper. 
and um, cheaper for the tenant too, because the energy costs are lower. So it does seem to be happening more. I bought a piece of land just down the street uh, that was pretty cheap. It was like $200,000 for a piece of land here in California. And I haven't built on it because it was going to cost a million bucks to build. And now we're now we're looking at these modular companies and it's like 300000 or something. You know, it's like really cheap. So we're, we're kind of going through the process now to test it. Oh, and another thing, San Jose, California is is creating 1,500 of them, or I think 150 for homeless, little little tiny, tiny homes, and giving those homeless people like six to nine months to kind of get get a job and be able to go and find permanent housing. So now to see cities incorporating this at a much, hopefully, cheaper cost than they've been able to do in the past, I think we talked about it was like $750,000 to provide one space for a homeless person. You know, this could be a solution that would be much more affordable. So keeping my eye on it. I love this idea. I When we were making this show, I wanted to do modular housing because I'm totally in agreement, Kathy. This idea has been around for a long time, but more attention is being given to it. The technology is improving. And as they say, the necessity is the mother of all invention. And like right now, affordable housing is necessary. And so I think we're going to see increasing numbers of tech firms, entrepreneurs, existing builders start to look for real scalable ways to reduce construction costs. And modular homes is a very in my opinion, obvious way to pursue that. Absolutely. Yeah. Hopefully within a few years will be, it'll just be normal. Yeah. And there's some really cool ones out there and they do like that Boeing production on them in plants where they're just kind of assembling them, trying to reduce the cost. But that has been the major issue is it's going to cost you about 50 to $75 more a square foot to bring in one of those cool modular homes. But I think Kathy is really on the right trend because what we've seen in construction labor cost, you know, it, the materials in the assembly is what kind of kept that pricing up, but the in the cost for labor kind of kept the pricing down in the uh, new construction, and that's why you kind of you know most builders still want to build stick built. But the biggest issue is we're seeing construction wages from 2021 to 2023 jump over 20 percent. That is a much higher labor cost demand than we've seen in any other industry, as far as I know. And this labor costs are continuing to rise in a lot of these sections, right? Because there's there's less skilled trade workers actually going. People want to be influencers now rather than a plumber. And <laughs> the labor market is shrinking in a lot of those spots. And that's going to continue to increase those labor costs, which that's where offsite production can start to really make sense. And I, I do think that it, the cost for modular in the next five years will be substantially cheaper than building on-site. Yeah, I also think with the rise of cities and municipalities being much more open to providing the necessary permitting for uh, uh, additional units to be placed in people's backyards or to be built, uh, you know, communities built like this, it's it's I think that that's really going to play into this trend, potentially getting some wings finally, because it was a lot of the not in my backyard before that stopped some of this. And I think more people are aware that this is needed and it needs to be able to be done affordable and provide a safe, comfortable place. And these modular, almost like prefabbed homes can can now provide these things as the technologies in, uh, increased. And uh, I think you've kind of got this perfect storm of the technology is there. 
people are aware that we need it and the people who can make the decisions are ready to green to green light it. So it could really blow up. Let's hope. I think this is a really exciting one and uh, is one that you should look into if you're considering building something new. Uh, and I will say that I've been looking into this and I think one tip is make sure to look on a state level because I've noticed that because different states have different building codes, it can be hard to order modular housing across state lines. And so you need to make sure you find ones within your state and that are up to code in your particular area. And I think one thing people forget about when they're thinking about bringing in a modular home is the doo-doo has to go somewhere. And they often- <laughs> You can't just stick it they, on the ground. You right. You can't just plop it on the ground, have walk that away. sucker in, and boom, house. <laughs> um, but even though cities and municipalities are greenlighting these things, there are requirements for being able to hook up to city sewer or having to put in septic or having to expand the septic that's already there mm -hmm. to cover this. And those costs can be extremely high and people don't always factor those in to these decisions. Yeah, you got to watch out for those utility costs. Water, sewer, power, those are real costs. The cheapest land is not always something you should be buying. Sometimes land can be free and you still don't want it. Yeah. <laughs> We've now hit three of the trends we're going to be talking about today, but stick around because we have one more for you. And we're also going to talk about trends that we think are going out of style. So stay tuned. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my 9-to-5 job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Top real estate investors love to talk about how they save so much on taxes. But how are they able to build rental property empires while skirting Uncle Sam? 1031 exchanges. 
1031 exchanges allow you to defer capital gains taxes while you sell an investment property, exchanging your old property for a bigger, better one and avoiding the tax man while you do it. And that's where First American Exchange Company comes in. They're the leaders in 1031 exchanges. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting, First American Exchange can help you with simple rental property exchanges, complex commercial real estate investments, reverse exchanges, and more. Don't let your taxes eat into your profits. Visit First American Exchange Company at firstexchange.com or call them at 800-556-2520. That's firstexchange.com or 800-556-2520. Keep your money in your pocket and propel your portfolio further at firstexchange.com. First American Exchange Company does not provide tax or legal advice. Consult your financial, real estate, tax, or legal advisor about your circumstances. First American Exchange Company. Safe, smart, secure. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. All right, great. Well, we've talked about three exciting trends, warehousing, co-living, and now modular homes. And I will go last and bring my trend, which is build for rent. And this concept has been around for a couple of years. It's been gaining steam over the last, uh, you know, really since the pandemic, I think since housing prices have been getting more, uh, so much more expensive, but it is actually not all that popular when you look at how many units are be in construction over the United States. Right now, according to RealPage, there are 73,000 units, which is a lot, but not really anything that big considering that there's 140 million housing units in the United States. And I previously sort of thought of it as this interesting concept that, you know, major developers were looking at, but I've since learned that this can be done pretty affordably and pretty effectively, even for individual units and in infill situations, even in urban centers. So I was looking or was talking to uh, someone who did this recently in a market I was looking at, and they were able to build the 1% rule and then some. So everyone talks about how hard it is to find cash flow. You can build cash cash flow right now. This this guy gave me an example. He built a duplex for $520,000 all in and it rents out for $6400 a month. And so if you can build wow. something like that, you're going to be getting excellent cash flow and there are you know financing options that can help you build these things and it sort of opened my eyes recently that this is something that I as a relatively, you know, small to medium-sized investor could actually pull off. It's not just for huge developers. Is this something any of you have done? Doing it right now. Really? How's it going? It's going great. I've got two uh, brand new construction build to rent properties that we are working on. I think the opportunity here is for the uh, developer. So if these developers have all the plans ready, so they just specialize in building three or four, maybe different floor plans for different situations, and they've got their um, 
their labor force and materials streamlined where they know they can build. If they can get under that national average of build per square foot, I think you will find that there will be a lot of people that would want to leverage those contractors to start cranking out these new construction uh, build to rent homes. And it's a win for the investor and a win for the developer because you're sold before you start. Yeah, we've been doing build to rent for a long time. Um, as an investor, it's really important to not get confused by that term because the, the the build to rent today, when you're talking about it institutionally, is basically big time. The whole communities, you know, right? Yeah. Yeah, they're buying land. They're basically doing a multifamily property, but it's homes. And that's all managed by one company. It's very professional. Uh, what investors might get in trouble with is, is something somebody brought to me once and they were, they bought the plot of land. They were going to build 450 rental homes and sell each of those off to individual investors. And we said, absolutely not. Now you're going to have 450 investors in this project. All of them. What if, they, what if just, you know, 10% had to put their property on the, on the rental market? Now you're competing against each other. What if you need to sell? Um, and everybody else does. So just be really careful when hearing the word build to rent. We, we've been helping investors buy new homes that have built, you know, so people call it build to rent, but they're scattered lots. Or if they're in one area, we want like we, we bought this whole kind of street, the lots there, but everything next to it is all uh, primary residence. So just, you know, be careful in an all investor neighborhood. If you're one of many other investors, you could really get yourself in trouble there. Yeah, and I think this this one in particular, I think, combines really well with yours, Kathy, actually, because I was looking at build-for-rent yeah. modular homes recently, totally. and there's really cool multifamily projects. And what I love about it is that the modular piece of it is designed, yes, for a great experience for renters, but it's also designed for low maintenance for landlords, which is awesome because all the, mm -hmm. the rental properties I currently own are relatively older homes and they were cut up, you know, bigger homes that were cut up. Some of them are purpose built, but you know, having a modern building that's designed with low maintenance and low cost of operations in mind is really attractive. Yeah, for sure. So much opportunity. And that's where I think the benefit to build for rent is right now. Like cost of insurance is a real pain on your uh, your balance sheet right now. These insurance companies, if you have an older building, even if it's been retrofitted, they are charging you a lot higher premium. You know, I think our insurance have doubled and tripled in a couple spots. But on the newer built to code, like if we're above 1990, the insurance drops substantially just because they were built differently. And so there's some definitely some operational benefits but I think it really depends on whether you're a long-term investor and how you want to invest or a, more of a shorter term trying to get higher growth. I think build for rent is good and it's consistent as long as you're in the right market. Like build for rent in the West Coast, in my opinion, I can't figure out how it pencils. It's just the cost to build is 300 to 400 a foot when you're, when you're building those smaller units. And that's it, when I reference that, that's plans, permits all the way out the door. Um, because that is something investors have to pay attention to. They'll hear, hey, you can build for 150 a foot, but that's from foundation up. So you really need to know your core costs. Like what is your all-in dev cost on that? And then run the math. But if I'm going to build a property for $300 a square foot and then rent it out for three bucks a square foot, I can buy something around $120 a square foot as a renovation 
remodel it for a hundred bucks a square foot and take it to a newer level. And I'm into that property for 220 a foot. So my basis in my, my overall balance on that property is just a lot less. And so that's why I have a hard time for build for rent on, on that approach, because if I can buy it, fix it and be into it 35% cheaper on a price per square foot basis, I'm always going to lean that way. But there is some definite upside. If you can find it in the right market, I do like the efficiencies. I like the costs. Uh, but you know, I think you just got to really look at your all in dev costs, what market you're in, and then, you know, it's going to work in some spots. Uh, we have found it to work right now. We're building one right now. As I say, I don't really like it. Uh, we had, um, uh, a rooming house density got upzoned, and now we're building a four bedroom ADU behind it. And that's been very cost efficient. So depending on the plan and what you're trying to build, it can really work. I don't really like the whole just build a single family house model. And not unless you're picking up a little bit of equity. I'd rather buy something renovated and get be in there a lot cheaper. All right, great. Well, thank you all for sharing your trends. Just to remind everyone, Henry's trend that he's excited about is warehouse investing. James talked about co-living. Kathy talked about modular homes. And I talked about build for rent. Before we get out of here, though, I want to know if you guys think any trends are over. This doesn't mean that they can't work, but like, you know, the early adopter curve is done and, you know, now it's just back to being a, a regular type of business. Um, do any of you have one of those quickly that you think is like no longer as sexy or as exciting as it used to be? Like a fad? Not like necessarily a fad. Like I'll just give you an example of mine. I think uh, midterm rentals are now just like a regular type of investment. Like for a while, mm -hmm. there was an inefficiency in that market where if you were an early adopter, you could have huge outsized returns. Now it's efficient market. People know about it. That doesn't mean you can't do deals, but it's just like long-term rentals. It's an efficient market where you have to be really good at the at investing in it. And it's no longer this like shiny new object. It's just another tool in the toolkit. So that's mine, but I'm curious if you guys have other ones. Well, I don't know if this counts, but um, it's it's not the best time to try to be in the foreclosure business, meaning REO, like the bank mm -hmm. um, repossessing property. That's, that's you would want to be more in pre-foreclosure um, at this time. So I know a lot of people have been sitting around waiting for that and we just haven't really seen an uptick in, in foreclosures. I mean, maybe a little bit, but. That's a great one. No, I think that's an excellent mm -hmm. one because people are definitely waiting around for that. And as you mm -hmm. said, it's not really happening. I'm trying to think of the fads. There's so many little fads that have, have uh, <laughs> where the juices slowed down. You know, syndications are one of them. I, I really do believe it because, you know, people are rushing to put money to work. A lot of people are syndicating properties. Um, and I think there's some really good operators that know the business over a 10 year period and know it's a very consistent return. But the pitch has been you're making these massive IRRs last two years, which is not normal, mm -hmm. right? The point of syndicating is to get a steady return with some tax benefit. And I think people didn't realize that because what was happening is the operators would get this. They got in the right market, the right deal. It popped. They were selling it off. The investors got massive IRRs. And then they went and bought another one, and they, and they have the same expectations. And those expectations are just, a, they're a little too pumped. Um, I do think it's a great business. I just think it's a more going back to its consistent, steady, get your mailbox money and move on. I'm probably going to get booed off the stage. Yeah, let's But <laughs> I think pretty soon storage facilities are going to be mm. uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. in, yeah. The, in that realm. I'm with you. Because mm -hmm. it has gained so much popularity. 
uh, amongst the traditional mm-hmm. investor. It, it, it was always popular amongst, you know, people with a whole lot of money. But now the traditional investor is really savvy to it. They're out there, they're looking for them. And so you've got traditional investors buying the existing facilities and lots of funds building brand new. Every five miles out here, there is a brand new, shiny storage facility being built. And they are not all going to be 100% full, which means they're going to have to cut costs and they're probably not going to see a return on the investment they put in till what year three, four, five. And so there, Mm -hmm. there may be some opportunity to get some good deals down the road, but I don't know that they're going to get the returns they're thinking they were planning on getting with so much competition. Totally. And the only way you compete in self-storage is by lowering your price. You can't have like a cooler corrugated steel box than the other corrugated <laughs> steel box. Like, it's just, it is what it is. And you know what? The consumer's calling the bluff on those people because I got a notice that they jacked up my rate. And I go, I'm moving. And then they gave me an offer that was lower than the rate that I was paying for the last 12 months. They're like, well, if you actually really? don't leave, I was like, whoa, this is instant. I'm like, well, no, I bought a property anyways. I'm moving the stuff out regardless. But it's, uh, it was pretty crazy. They like they, they they said, well, if you don't leave, we'll actually give you a break for the next six months. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. I'm about to, I'm about to call my storage facility and see if I can negotiate <laughs> me a better rate. They're going to try and sell you the whole facility, Henry, when you, when you start to negotiate right. it. All right. Well, thank you all so much for listening. And Kathy, James, Henry, thank you for sharing your thoughts on future trends and some that might be losing their juice, as James said. We appreciate you all listening, and we'll see you for the next episode of On the Market. On the Market was created by me, Dave Meyer, and Kaylin Bennett. The show is produced by Kaylin Bennett with editing by Exodus Media. Copywriting is by Calico Content, and we want to extend a big thank you to everyone at Bigger Pockets for making this show possible. The housing market is changing, and finding your way right now can be a bit tricky. There are rate shifts, there are confusing headlines, but at the end of the day, your goal hasn't changed. You probably still want financial freedom as much as ever. Well, the good thing is that experienced investors know it's not about trying to time the market, it's about the amount of time you have in the market. And if you're ready to get into real estate investing game, you can still do that, or you can take your game to the next level by finding an investor-friendly agent. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in just a few minutes. You head over to biggerpockets.com deals, enter in some details about what you want, where you want to buy, and boom, you instantly get matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investments in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.